Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. You are listening to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg, and I'm joined with my co-host, Jim. And we have two special guests with us tonight. We are going to be looking at some really awesome chapters of the Bible from the book of Romans, Romans chapters 13, 14, and 15. We'll see if how this goes, because we could spend hours and hours, probably so many hours just discussing the, the deep truths in these chapters, but we we're trusting that some of the things that we say will be beneficial to those who are listening. So Jim, let me start out with you, ask you how you're doing tonight. I'm doing great. I'm really excited about tonight and I'm glad we have our two guests with us. Maybe let's, uh, we should, for the benefit of our audience, spend a moment just introducing our two guests, Greg. Absolutely. Ali, why don't you start? Hi, this is this is Ali. This is my second time here on the podcast. Pretty excited to read Romans 13 and looking forward to it. And then uh-huh. we have Val O'Brien. Val, tell us a little bit about yourself and feel free to tell us about the ministry you're involved in. Yeah, no, thank you for having me back. This is my second time also. I'm really, really thankful to be able to discuss God's word again tonight with you guys. So looking forward to it. Um, I work for a ministry called Josiah Venture. Um, They work primarily in Eastern Europe and also in Central Europe, training up young leaders um, and having a heart for young people to come to know Jesus. Um, And we recently have started a Josiah Venture division in North America, which we are thrilled about. And so we're going to be starting to work uh, with young church leaders here within the U.S. and Canada. So I work out of Cleveland, Ohio, though. So that's my home base and that's my home and um, everything that we do with Josiah Venture finds its home in the local church. And so ultimately that is my passion to see um, healthy local churches with healthy leaders that are grounded in the word of God. So that's a little bit about who I am. Fantastic. Well, we, we got to get into the word, but before we do, I have a question for you, Jim. Why didn't the orange win the race? <laughs> I don't know, Greg. Why didn't the orange win the race? It ran out of juice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I never see these coming. You, you know, we really should that, see these coming. Put that in your back pocket. You never know. That might be that. useful right. to you someday. You bet. All right. Well, let's uh let's dive into Romans chapter 13. Um Let's just open it up. What are some of your observations? Or we're we're looking for big themes tonight because we can't we can't necessarily. Um, what what are some of the themes that jumped out at you from Romans chapter thirteen? Well, Romans thirteen. I mean, maybe just if we just focus on the first seven verses, the first section here. It's all about uh, you know my heading in my Bible says submission to the authorities and about the legitimacy of governmental authority. Um, and I think it's it's spawned a lot of discussion over the years. But the basic idea is if the government is telling you to sin, 
you know, go worship Caesar. Then you say, no, as a Christian, I can't do that. But pretty much everything else, you're under, under the authority of government. And, um, and it's not, it doesn't say, you know, it has to be a certain kind of government that, you know, only democracies count. Uh, this was written long before that. This is, I think, written at a time when Nero was emperor. So it's an awful Roman government. Um, so, but the basic principle, I think, and basic idea is uh, uh, government over you is there for a reason. Um, it's legitimate. If it tells you to sin, you can't do that. That's a legitimate way to, to, to say, I cannot obey that. And a lot of Christians pay for that with their life over the years. But, but other than that, when the government says, this is a rule, you should obey it. That's your, your Christian obligation to obey it. That's, that's a, a, a simplified summary of it, Greg. And then it just launches a ton of controversy from there. Right. Well, you know what's, um, maybe we should back up just a few steps. Um, Romans 13 obviously comes after Romans 12 and Romans 12 is like a huge hinge in the book of Romans because it basically, um, Paul turns a corner and says, therefore I urge you brothers by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So basically he's saying everything I wrote about in Romans one to 11 which is basically the gospel, you know, chapters one to three, all of us have sinned. Religious people have sinned. Non-religious people have sinned. We're all sinners and we're helpless sinners. We can't save ourselves. But then the good news comes in chapters, you know, four and five, that Jesus, um, you know, made a way for us um, he, he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled with God. And so, um, just the, the amazing thing that, you know, the, the good news of the gospel is what God did for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then we learned, you know, we talked about Romans six through eight, Jim, and really talking about, you know, sanctification and how your life changes and how you can, go from being a slave to sin to being a slave to righteousness. But then you have this big change in chapter 12. And it's sort of like, it's important for us to remember that it's in the context of, in light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus has done for you, um, now you should go and live this way, living, living out your Christian life. Where, you know, Tim Keller talks about how religion is more like i obey i obey god therefore i obey therefore i'm accepted by god that's kind of like religion but the gospels operates differently it's i'm accepted by god through what jesus christ has done for me therefore i obey and so um yeah what are your thoughts on this jim well no i'm just this and this is let we really keyed in on this on our last podcast ali when you were with us this is the whole concept of sequence right the first thing is you got to understand exactly you know he has saved me by his grace through nothing i've done and you're right then it turns the corner of chapter 12 but be, after that because of that in light of that out of sheer gratitude now i want to serve him and that's where paul in, in chapter 12 launches into a bunch of commands. And last time we were talking about this, they were saying there are a bunch of staccato commands. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Mm -hmm. And what we were saying is if you'd started Romans with that, you'd say, well, the Christian is like any other religion. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts is what you have to do. But the sequence is everything. It's really key. I'm, I'm glad you brought that context because then this is a continuation of that. The, the things as a Christian you need to do, then it moves from all those personal things you do to how you relate to your government in chapter 13. Yeah, so jumping jumping into 13, and 
it's it's crazy to me that Paul wrote this when Nero was the was the I mean Nero was not a great guy. Um and so does anybody have any thoughts on like just that whole context of like why would why why did Paul make such a big deal about this, especially under Nero? Um and any thoughts on that, Val? I mean, I was thinking as I read this, um, I've been reading through the Bible in a year, so I've been like, I am deeply in uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah. <laughs> so when I was rereading this passage, I was just thinking, man, this is this is tale as old as time. You know, like, I feel like this could have been written to the church today right now. Oh, yeah. And so I think, you know, obviously the reason that Paul had to write so much about it, he could have written about anything. He could have gone into greater detail um, from Romans 12, even the kind of what he was talking about in there. He could have gone into detail in any of those things, and yet he chooses this. And I think it's because, you know, people were talking about it because the church was wrestling with it because they didn't know what the right answer was. And, you know, you continue to go through 13, 14. There must have been a lot of heated debate over what this really needed to look like in the life of a believer. And so Paul just comes right out and says, listen, this, even in the government that we're in right now, as the people of God, this is what he requires from, this is what brings him joy. This is what delights him as his people when you behave in this way towards the government. But, you know, I think, you know, the reason that he brings it up, even with Nero, um, is because they were talking about it. It was an issue. People were asking questions. Um and the church was not in alignment with what that looked like. I'll, I'll bet you're right, Val. People at the time must have been asking Paul at every turn, you know, surely as a Christian, there must, I hate this thing the government's asking me to do, pay taxes. I don't want to do it. And there must be some Christian loophole or some rationale that I can use to avoid doing this thing I don't want to do. I mean, Nero's awful. I don't want to fund what Nero was doing. And right. um, I have, isn't there some Christian reason I can avoid that or... Uh, any other thing the government says, they just don't want to do it. And so uh, can I have some Christian rationale? And he does kind of put the rest to that here and say, uh, no, is it sin? No. Well, then the answer is no. Um, yeah, you, you have an obligate Christian obligation. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That's good. Those are some good thoughts. Uh, what else in what else in chapter 13 stands out to you? Because he kind of moves on from the government. And talks once again about the big kind of the big theme at the end of Romans is love mm -hmm. and how to love. And again, it's in light of us being, you know, living sacrifices to God um, that we should love others the way Jesus loved us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people should people should see Christ in us. Um, but Ali, what's on your mind? I'm still trying to figure out the the order of everything that it, how it is supposed to be because like it 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 is very tense and you you kind of try and figure out is is Christianity just like any other religion is Christianity even a religion because from what I've learned Christianity is a relationship right mm -hmm. so what what Paul is trying to tell to to the, to the Romans is that you know there are there are certain guidelines which you gotta follow, and I'm trying to figure out if 
if these guidelines are just like you know islam where you know you don't do all the bad stuff you do only the good stuff and if you manage to do that your your he- your heaven ticket is confirmed but if you do not there's trouble but then you know after reading verse 8 you you kind of start learning that everything all those guidelines are based on love right that's what i'm and i'm still learning about it but you know it's where where paul is trying to say that don't worry about all the other rules do not do not commit uh, adultery do not do not steal or don't do any of the bad stuff but as long as you you know you you love each other you have fulfilled the law some i think that kind of it, it all kind of starts making sense when you when you put love in your actions that's what i know that you know if 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 you are going to do the right thing do it out of love and don't do it out of fear where you know all the other religions kind of teach you to do the things but do it out of fear because if you don't do any of that you're going to end up in hell but i think that's where that's where your relationship with god and christianity is different you don't do you don't do things to enter heaven you do things because of your faith in jesus christ yeah 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 i i think that's really important because i think one when you were talking about that i was thinking on the outside you couldn't tell right yeah so, let's say as a really moral muslim who is uh and if you look here there's the verse 13 it talks about avoiding sexual morality sensuality drunkenness so someone could say i avoid those things uh, and i'm a really mm-hmm. for, and, and the basis of my faith in islam or some other religion and some of the christians is the same thing and if you observe both people you'd say see they're the same they're both the same they're both moral people keeping the law yeah. but the you were you were really hitting on it when you're talking there especially towards the end it's it's the motivation so this is really saying the motivation really should be love but it, it's in keeping with that whole sequence idea that greg was talking about from the whole pattern of romans right so um the other religion would say what you're doing if i do these things i'm punching my ticket this is my ticket to heaven right i do these things so that i god will bless me so that i can get into heaven or be blessed yes. but christianity says, and christianity says i already have that he's already given that to me as a free gift i've received it i haven't earned it but i received it mm-hmm. but therefore i want to do all those things and then you have a totally different motivation and you say i'm just i'm doing it out of, out of love for my lord but from the outside it would look the same it would be yeah. hard to distinguish but the the, the key is the motivation inside and why you're doing what you're doing mm-hmm. it should be it should be radically different for the christian yeah it's it's also interesting because well, if you start witnessing to any of the muslim people uh, i i remember this because I, i i kind of tried and witness it to to my sister and she said i actually feel like i'm more christian than than greg is because i was giving your example to her and she is like i'm more christian than greg is because he believes in Isa al-Masih Jesus Christ and I, we believe in it we probably know more about him and if you read so there is there is a there's a Urdu version of the bible which you know some muslim people have read and they say that you know we follow all the all the things that are mentioned in, in the bible so in in some ways we are like uh, christian plus so you know we are like a transformation of christian because islam came after christianity so they almost tend to play by that you know that we actually kind of are an evolution of all the christian beliefs because god god sent muhammad and he kind of you know how you you're working on a project it's, it's almost like you're working on a project and you know there are certain things that you want to tweak 
So you install an update, right? So what they claim is that Muhammad was that update. I mean, that's why they say, you know, we believe in Christ. He existed and all, all that stuff that he did. But then Muhammad came and kind of fixed whatever his shortcomings, whatever Jesus' shortcomings were. Muhammad came and fixed those. So it's it's important, you know, uh, to understand that it's a lot more than that. It's not just about, you know, doing certain things. It's a lot more than that. Yeah. And, you know, Ali, just I don't understand enough about it to respond to all those different views on Islam and yeah, couldn't comment on that. But I would just I would say, though, that the idea that where the starting point of the way you were describing it is a fundamental misunderstanding of Christianity, because that is understanding and describing Christianity as if Jesus was a good teacher giving us rules to follow. And then you say, but now I'm just building on that. So I, you know, someone says, I'm a better, I don't believe in Jesus as my redeemer, but I'm a better Christian you because I follow the rules better than you. Mm-hmm. A lot of my non-Christian neighbors could say that. That probably could be more moral than I am. Like, and, and in that perspective, they say, see, I'm more Christian than you because I follow the teachings of Jesus better than you do. Is it's a, That is a fundamental misunderstanding because Jesus mm-hmm. was a teacher, but he was not fundamentally our teacher. He's fundamentally our redeemer, took our place in the cross. And the essence of Christianity is substitution. He did completely for us what we couldn't do. And we're saved because all our sins are put on him and all his righteousness is put on us. So, but, but many, many people in the world, not just Muslims, many yeah. would say he was a good, he was a teacher of love and peace. And the whole point of what he said was to follow the teachings he gave. And as long as you do that, that's the essence of Christianity. And that's absolutely completely, nothing could be further from the truth. That's just not the essence of Christianity at all. That's a, um, that's just another, that would make it into another workspace religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, yeah. And we, we've talked about this, Ali, before, you know, like the uh, a lot of religion wants to change you from the outside in, yeah. you know, by following a bunch of rules and lists of things. But, but Christianity, Jesus changes us from the inside out. And, and that's what's key, especially when you read, like, if you just jump to these chapters, then you could read this like a religious person. Yeah. Like, I've got to do all these things. But that's why the context of like everything that came before is so important. You know, those, you know, those, all those other chapters, you know, Romans 1 through 11, you know, are uh, key to really understand how to live this out. How do we, how do we live this out where, most every government is corrupt. Right. And yet, mm-hmm. and Paul's saying, obey the government, pay them taxes. Like, like the, everything in your flesh says, if, especially if you believe they're corrupt, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to report all my revenue, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But Paul's like, Hey, you know, you know, because of the change that Jesus has made in, inside you, you know, um, and, and these authorities have been instituted by me, like um, where to where to follow them. Val, what do you think? Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, as I was reading the passage, you know, what does being just again, like the why question, why is that the way that God desires for us to act to authority. What is that teaching us about him? What is that teaching us about the gospel? Because he could have said, hey, you know, you should rebel against every 
any bit of immorality you see, if it's in the government, if it's your neighbor, if it's inside yourself, like you fight against it, you know, like, why is that not the way of Christ? So what is it about how we're being instructed to um, respect the authority of government? What is that actually teaching us? Why is that the way of Christ? Why is that the... Um, you know, I'm just thinking about Jesus who humbled himself and became a servant and um, poured himself out as a drink offering. I'm thinking of um, in Philippians 2, he did not consider equality with the Father something to be grasped. Yeah. You know, and to willingly put him in a subservient position. And so maybe the tie-in Val is in these passages is everyone in the world wants to rebel against the government. Everybody wants to rebel. Like one of the, I, I, Greg hears me say this all the time. One of the key sins of mankind or humankind is the um, no one, but no one tells me what to do. No one tells me what to do. I want to be my own boss, my own savior, my own Lord master. No one tells me what to do. So rebellion is kind of everywhere. And so it would be a real distinctive for a Christian community to say, well, they're the ones that kind of peacefully do go along with the government. It's a, and, and, it would really be a, a big witness for in a lot of different eras of history for the Christians to live this out. And I'm thinking of maybe that's, maybe that's the tie in with the whole second, maybe that why these two pieces are in the chapter 13 together. That's what I, yeah. Yeah. So you're I, thinking, you're like, 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 I was, yeah. Okay, please go ahead. Cause I, oh, I said it better than I did, but <laughs> I know that's the way that I, I was kind of thinking about it too. Like does just being people that are under authority, does that even just flex our flex our muscles, teach us what it's like to be under the authority of God and get used to that place of like, we are under the authority of God, but in the case of government, we'll never be under perfect authority or loving authority, but like, but isn't it amazing that when we're under, as God's people, we're under a perfect, um, under a perfect King, like under perfect yeah. authority, you know, and that it just kind of trains us exactly what you're saying to say, like to humble ourselves and not say, you know, I want to be in charge of everything myself, but because we're intrinsically not that as followers of Jesus, we're not a man of ourselves. We are all people under authority. He's saying, listen, you're under God already. You may as well submit to the government and let's just go along and get other work done. <laughs> well, so if you do, you know? that, kind of, you're, then you're also kind of submitting to each other, right? Uh, like I'm looking at verse not eight. Oh, one and not knowing anything except to love each other for each one, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. So you're submitting to the others too, right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of, that kind of community that that would build and the testimony that would show, but um Look, I think the principle, I think, is clear. I think the application, there's so many historical, there are places around the world now you'd say, seriously, you're supposed to obey that that government? Mm -hmm. um, and historical examples, you know, so in, in Hitler's Germany, you were supposed to obey that government. And then the example, a lot of Christians always talk about the American Revolution, you know, should, should you have been part of the American Revolution or should you have been loyal to the king? Come on, you every, every American knows you should have rebelled against the government, right? And but there's a lot of Christians who debate that and say, maybe you shouldn't have, you know. Uh, I heard one theologian who's talking about that saying, he was asked that question, what would he do? And he said, I would move to Canada because I should have stayed loyal to my to the king and I don't like it, but I should. Like, wow, that was an answer I was not expecting at all. <laughs> so anyway, so the principles are here. It's fun to talk about these, these but Christians have really wrestled with mm -hmm. all the exceptions. Or look, maybe they're just looking for exceptions. Maybe that's our heart saying, seriously, this, this government now, that rule, that rule, I don't like it. Um, so 
Does anyone have, let's, let's kind of wrap up our thoughts on chapter 13. Is there anything at the end of the chapter that stood out to you? I mean, I really like verse 14 where it kind of ends the chapter by saying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And that word desires is that word epithumia, which is an over desire. And it's not just a desire desires for bad things, but it can be uh, good things that we make into ultimate things um, in place of, of Jesus. But I like that whole idea of like put on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and how it kind of reminds me of a little bit of the beginning of chapter 12, you know, um, being living sacrifices. It's a choice that we make, you know, am I going to walk in my flesh or am I going to put on Jesus, you know? You have any thoughts hey, on that, Jim? Well, I'm going to ask a question. That, and uh, I don't know if this is an avenue you want to take, but it didn't occur to me until just now when you're reading it. Does that teach a sort of Christian asceticism, the monasticism? Think about the Middle Ages where the monks said, you know, deny all worldly pleasure. The Bible, Look at Romans 13, 14. Make no provision for the flesh. So, you know, the, the question sometimes and I ask in a, in a Bible study, should a Christian eat an ice cream cone? Is it okay for a Christian to eat an ice cream cone? There's no, there's no utilitarian value to an ice cream cone. It's just fun. Mm -hmm. Is that like okay? And honestly, that question spurs a lot of com conversation about, you know, because <laughs> it's like maybe it's not okay. You know, maybe not like wait, wait, is God supposed to is a killjoy? And never supposed to get any pleasure. So I mean, I, I I just looking at that verse, Greg, what do you I mean? It could it could it be read to say, Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You should live simplify, simplify, right? And have uh, take that kind of worldly pleasures out of life. What do you think? I definitely don't think it is teaching that extreme view that you just mentioned. Um, <laughs> because I think when you put on Jesus, you put on the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, and I mean, joy is one of the fruits of the spirits. And there's lots of um, that. I think the thing is not to let anything in this world take the rightful place that only God should have in our hearts. Right. Um, to not make a good thing into an ultimate thing. That's where it's it's dangerous. But it is interesting. I mean, it is a strong verse. It is a strong verse. But um, I I I don't believe that that's what it's teaching. I mean, Anybody I else have any? Yeah, anyone else? Val and Ali, what do you think? I feel like, you know, when we talk about coming to Christ, and we talk about changing from inside out and not, you know, outside in. It, it also makes me wonder if God actually knows you inside out, right? Does God know what you're thinking? Does God... You know, sometimes, uh, you know, you can put up a put up a put up an image of uh, a really righteous man, but what if you know deep down inside you're not? So it's also about accepting Christ from all your heart, where you know you you also kind of accept that God knows you inside out. So the things that you do and the intentions that you do that with, God knows that too. So as long as you're you're living a life with good intentions. I think God would be happy with that. God would, you know, in a way you can say God would approve that. But if you're if you're having that ice cream cone for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> <laughs> then 
God would know that too. You know, if if you're if you're having that ice cream cone to finish all the ice cream cones so that no one else can have it, that is probably you know, a, some some degree of sin <laughs> because your intentions are wrong. But if your intentions are right, if your intentions are, you know, towards God, I think uh, as long as you live with good intentions, you'll be all right. Belle, what do you think? I know I'm 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 thinking about the second trip I made up to get ice cream last week on vacation. <laughs> Wait, no, no, for the audience's benefit, you were camping. You were, you were, you were living the uh, ascetic lifestyle. I, yeah. I, was, I wasn't intent. I for the. I had a frosty tonight. Call yourself a Christian. You're, you're in trouble, Greg. Um, Ali, I was thinking something similar. Although I went to like a a darker, more extreme example of like I think you know if I see somebody who's hungry. Mm. And I'm going to eat in my ice cream cone because mm. I want an ice cream cone. Yeah. I'm hot. It's a hot day. And there's a hungry kid standing behind me and I only have five bucks. I feel like those are, and again, we're just talking, I, I haven't studied this in, in detail, but I think that that's, it's part of the comparison of like, when push comes to shove, are you doing things that are just satisfying your own fleshly desires, satisfying yourself, living for yourself, or are you, um, putting others following in the example of Jesus, putting on the example that he gave to us um, and putting other people ahead of yourself. And so maybe it's not as just like extreme as never, ever, ever, ever do anything that you enjoy or feels good, but um, more of this idea of, but that's as a follower of Jesus, that is not your number one priority. So those are great answers. I'm sorry. I didn't cut you off. No, no, no. No, because like the the monastic idea was it's fraught with peril. It's hard to figure out. So just cut it out entirely. When Ali, you were talking about like, it's your intentions, your motivations. And then now you're talking about like, you know, am I doing this instead of giving properly? So it's not, you take the extrapolate from the ice cream example. Someone could say the point of my life is to have enjoy as much as I can. Like a a glorified form of hedonism where you, you, a lot of, I hear a lot of kids today are saying, you know, the theme is you only live once, so get as much pleasure out of it as you can. In other words, as an organizing principle for life, it's an ice cream cone organizing principle for life, right? More for me, more pleasure for me at the expense of serving others. So yeah, there is a place where that's wrong. The monastic idea was, well, then don't just don't do any at all. Just cut it all out instead yeah. of dealing with that tension. And that's not it either because they're not, they're not really not still dealing with the hard issue. Um, look, I'll just one, I guess, simple thing, because he's talking about, uh, in my version, in verse 13, avoiding orgies and drunkenness and sexual morality and sensuality, talking about a very hedonistic world that he was living in at the time. And he says, make no provision for the flesh. Today, you might say, look, if you struggle with alcohol, don't like hang out with friends in bars, right? They're making That's making provision for the fle- for flesh, where you're putting yourself in that situation where it's going to be very, very hard to uh, fight temptation. Um, I think I think Paul may be getting something more along those lines, saying, "Look, you're in a world where there's tons of morality. To the extent you can, you can put yourself out of those situations um, to to be to pull away from the world and walk with Christ." One of the things I like to uh, teach is that as Christians, we have three enemies: the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the only enemies we have. We're not enemies with each other. Um, but, you know, and it's interesting that 
in Romans 12, 1 and 2, what does he say in Romans 12, 2? He says, do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you, we, we have this world that is constantly trying to push us into its mold. Um, and I heard an interesting story. Like, imagine if in Hollywood, they decided that for the next five years, every woman actor was going to be bald. Mm. Like, how long would it take for bald women to show up in a church? How long would it take for Christians to start adopting, you know, that that look? And and that's kind of the idea that the world is is change, you know, is constantly trying to push us into its mold. And obviously, it's kind of a silly example, but I think <laughs> it does make a point that so often we we don't even know how we're being pressed into the mold of the world um uh it's not it's not obvious to us you know but the world the flesh and you know and then here this verse is you know put on the lord jesus christ make no provision for the flesh that's the other uh enemy to gratify its desires and i did read in a commentary that god uses passage to show augustine who is one of the great theologians of the early church that he really could live the Christian life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, so I think maybe that's part of the thing is like, we can live the Christian life if we let the Holy Spirit, you know, live through us. And, you know, that whole battle between the flesh and the spirit, that the, the struggle of the Christian life, it's a real struggle. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.